Hi, I'm your host, Anthony Giorgio, and you're listening to another episode of QT, Queer Teen Podcast, encouraging the next generation of queer youth from across the world to stand up for what's right. I'm just going to start. So we are, what I usually like to do is I'll let my guests introduce themselves, mm-hmm. why we're doing it, and why we're here. Um, so take it away. So I'm Melissa, and I'm the author of a book called The People You Meet in Real Life, and I feel like it's my job to share stories of really inspirational people that will help others. And one of the people in my book who is incredible is Josh, and he's here, and I want him to introduce himself. I'm Josh. Um... I went to college with Melissa, we met then, and I had gone through some things in college, and Melissa was one of the people in college that was kind of there and listened and knew what was happening, and she allowed me to tell my story and be a part of hers. So let's talk about your story. Yes. Talk about your story a little bit and um, why the book came about from what you do, and then we'll segue into Yeah. So for a long time, since I was really five, my parents noticed that I was struggling with anxiety. They kind of threw it out the window, said, get over it, play sports, smile, because they were afraid others would judge. And um, as soon as the anxiety got really bad, where I was asking questions every day, reassurance, am I going to die, am I going to die, doing things um, like uneven numbers, superstitious things, it was starting to affect my social life. And that's when my parents really were telling me to hide. So I started hiding my issues, pretending everything was fine, smiles. By the time I got to eighth grade, it was really affecting my Wait, life. hold on. Sorry. Your parents told you to hide? Hide the issues. Not, huh. Yeah. Oh, I was completely okay. hiding. Um, smile, sports. I was a very good athlete, so I was always one of the best in sports. And it was kind of the place I felt like I knew who I was. The only time I didn't feel like I was that girl that was different, that was weird, that had these issues. That my parents loved me, but they were disappointed in me. I had a younger brother and sister who didn't even want to look up to me and tell their friends that that is my big sister. And that's something you want to do as a big sister. So eighth grade kind of really started affecting my social life. And that's when my parents were like, okay, really my mom, she's a pediatric nurse. Um, let's get her some help. So gets me help with a social worker who was nice but didn't understand what I was going through. I didn't really get a clear diagnosis. Just going to high school, I'm going to a counselor randomly, just coloring and counseling, talking about random things, not really honing in on what I was going through. And uh, my sophomore year, I knew it was something called OCD, obsessive compulsive disorder. I knew I had obsessive thoughts. I knew I had these feelings where I couldn't breathe, I couldn't eat, there were like ants crawling in my body, I was hyperventilating, punching holes in the walls. The the feeling I got in my body, it felt like I, I couldn't control. And I would do these weird behaviors, they would call them weird, that touched corners of tables, light switches on and off, do everything in even numbers. And I guess by the time I got to my sophomore year, I had had enough. I had enough going into school, putting a smile on, pretending everything was fine, playing sports, pretending everything was fine, going home, pretending everything was fine in front of my parents so they wouldn't yell at me or so I wouldn't get in trouble. I wouldn't disappoint my brother and sister again. And that's when I started having these thoughts of suicide ideation, which I never had before. And there were thoughts like not, are you going to die? Are you going to die? Is the world going to end? What's going to happen? 
do you have cancer? These were the thoughts I was getting daily. It was more, mm, what's the point of living? You know, you're worthless. You're a disappointment to your brother and sister, your family. Honestly, the world will be better without you. And at 16, I had this really bad day at school, showed signs, um, came home, a friend dropped me off, and uh, something wasn't right. I went up to my room, I knew no one was home, and I just looked out my window and I really thought that it would be better without me. That's when my friend, um, a year older than me, somehow saw these signs at 16 years old and knew she had to run down and just ask me that question, Miss, are you okay? Is there anything I can do to help you? And it was truthfully one of the first times I felt like I wasn't alone. Because even when I got help in high school, I was getting made fun of by peers. They didn't understand. This girl wants attention. And for the first time, just sitting there with a peer looking at me like I was a person and not this diagnosis, this definition, this failure, it was the first time I really shared my story. And that's when I started getting help, anxiety for depression, um, really coping and then I got to go to college something I never thought I would do but the biggest thing was really getting help um, going to counseling you know taking medication if I needed it and when I got to college um, I'm gonna be honest I was still hiding it's something we don't talk about really and I was asked in the first few months to sit on a panel at school I sat there and looked around and saw students that I saw every day in classes I saw every day on campus and I'm wondering why they're here and one opens up about having an eating disorder. The other opens up about um, their physical health issues. One opens up about cancer. And I kind of looked at them like, no, you're people I see every day. You're fine, you know. And I realized that at that moment after I shared my story that everybody had a story, that everyone I ever met in high school, in grade school, that we were all doing the same thing. We were all hiding, that I was making fun of others to make myself feel better. It was a circle because the truth was we were scared to be different. And I think... I realized at that moment that being different is a beautiful thing and it, it just makes you who you are. And that's when I really started speaking and um, listening to other people's stories and taking it in. And that's when I met Josh. And um, I really didn't have a story to write up about Josh in college that moment that you know I met him. But it really happened after we graduated, after I started speaking in schools and doing the work I was doing. And um, I had reached out to Josh and had asked if he wanted to share what had happened, and um, I'm gonna let him share that with you. Tagway. Let's do it. Yeah. So, I mean, I'll just start from college for me, and just kind of, I feel like yeah. college in general was an interesting time in my life, because freshman year of college is when I knew for sure that I was gay. Yeah. Um, and that was... Honestly, so you weren't out in high school? No, I was not out in high school. Um, it was something that was kind of in my head, something I thought mm -hmm. of, but I wasn't really sure. I didn't really understand it. Um, and then it wasn't until I met who ended up being my first boyfriend um, that I knew that that was, you know, who I was and that was a part of me. And that, as I mean, it's very different nowadays because people are kind of, we kind of talk about it. People do come out a lot earlier. They come out of the womb coming out. Yeah. Not everywhere, yeah. but a lot of places, yep. especially well, around here. More on the, like, these, this general area, yeah. East yep. Coast, like, what's... Yeah, and it's, it is great, um, but I didn't realize it until then, and so him and I started a relationship at a Catholic college. Yeah, um, that's nice. Surrounded by nuns and a lot of religious <laughs> Literally people. Literally living in your dorm. Yeah. 
Catholic. She went to a Catholic college. That's yes. what it was. Um, yeah. And there's nuns that literally on campus. Oh, they live, oh, yeah. in they live there. They hallway. taught us. They, they do? Yeah. In the women's, yep. Oh, oh and yeah. the guys too? Like priests? They, no, there were no priests on, they were on that side. There were. There you have a priests. U-shape and you have a male side and, you know, the female side, sure. they would call it. No co-ed, obviously, on this no campus. No co-ed. And the nuns would, like, be your next door neighbor, like, going to shower. Hey, sister, what's up? I'm just going not to party or play sports or I'm just going to Oh, it's so interesting. Brings up see that's so funny with your stories and like the hiding and this and not doing that, being Catholic. Obviously, I don't know. Were you hardcore Catholics growing up? Not. I went to 21 years of Catholic school. I grew up. I'm now. 20. Oh, I'm now um, a contemporary Lutheran, but we're not going to go there. I like Um, the content. We can go there, but that's for my season five. I'm kidding. I'm kidding. Season five. Um, five. It is actually season five. All about religion. Yeah. Cool. Anyway, sorry. But no, go. Catholics, please. Nuns. You have to get yeah. the picture to see kind well, of why like, this is a very uh-huh. significant story. Yeah, so that was weird to be in an environment like that and be like not knowing whether or not anybody was going to accept us. And him and I didn't tell anyone for a while. We didn't really say anything. There was there was talk. Oh, yeah. But it didn't Definitely change. There was like, nothing on campus? Like no like no, no. queer center help? Oh, no. Oh, no. Because no. some, some of them do have that now. Mm-hmm. Yeah. A little um, more progressive. The it didn't change cool. the way we saw you, but it was people were, I would just hear people just, just say it, just say it. And I'm like, but that's not, if they're not ready, like. Nope. And yeah. that is what was hard because we did, we knew that people knew and were talking about it, like to the point where like his roommate at the time, there were people at a party and somebody said something about it. Like neither of us were there and people were talking about this? at this party. 2007? Mm-hmm. So, Nine. No. No, yeah. No, seven, because seven was my I freshman year. Yeah, mm-hmm. seven was my freshman year. So, huh. yeah. Yeah. Yeah, so it sounds like 1995 you're talking about. Yeah. Yeah. Um, very weird. small school, remember. Yes, so everyone school. knew almost everything mm. at the school. Like okay. my class, when we went in, my I think we were 300 and something people just the freshman wow. class. My year was the first co-ed year. That's like, yeah. that's that's like a lecture at some schools. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, it's like, yeah. <laughs> oh, yeah. So it's a different environment to be in, and then him and I kind of we're working through that because he was in the same boat as I was. Like, he wasn't completely... I mean, I think more people... He was more open with more people, I think, in his life prior to that, but neither of us really had been out to anyone uh, at that point. And so we both actually ended up going to college with two people from... Like, I went to college with someone who I knew from high school, and we were best friends. Who you went grade. to where with, which was my favorite part, Jenna Ray. Didn't you go to prom with her or something? <laughs> yes. So Jenna Ray our, was one. Our friend. Yep. She, she was Her awesome. and I, we had been together for a long time, friends. Uh, and then another person from my high school, uh, her name's Kim, she was there at Immaculate, yeah. too. So it was like I had people from high school who knew me prior to being in college. And the same thing with him. He also had people from high school there. And so it was weird. Um, and we eventually told people, and things kind of changed a little bit. And I would say that, like, I don't know that... Are people jerks? I don't think anybody was ever a jerk to our face to the point where it was like worse. super uncomfortable but I was going to say that I think it is worse when you That's know that way people worse. are talking about you yeah. and you're like being the biggest jerk and yeah. you're doing that and then you, there were people who would really like act like they were your friend and like you know you guys were cool and it was no big deal and then you know that they're hanging out with people that were talking about you and it's sure. like really sure. like it's not necessary but to that point there were definitely people as well who were really supportive and surprisingly enough like I met so many people that ended up being really supportive and were supportive through the rest of my college years um and that was really cool um so 
that going through all that and trying to figure out that and work through who I was and really not knowing who I was and figuring it out with someone else um, was one thing. And then um, my sophomore year of college, my so I had been roommates with someone who I was becoming very great friends with. Um, his name is D'Angelo, and mm-hmm. we were becoming really close. He was a year ahead of me, or see two years. I think he was a year behind me. Yes, then he was a year ahead of me. He was like a mutual friend of ours. So he was a year ahead of me, um, and him and I became pretty close. We ended up becoming roommates. Um, So we were roommates sophomore year, and then the second semester of my sophomore year, well, first, first semester of my sophomore year, I got into a really bad car accident. I was in the hospital for five days or whatever it was. My nose had to be all fully back together. So anyway... That was beside the point. So that was an interesting time in my life, and D'Angelo was someone who was really there for me mm-hmm. during that time. And then sophomore year of college, D'Angelo didn't come back to school. And I wasn't really sure what was happening, and it was weird, and I was like, why aren't you coming back? And um, we still talked, and we were still close. And then suddenly in February of that year, he passed away. You um, had um, sickle cell. Sickle cell, yeah. That was really rough for... It was, it was hard. And again, it was a small school, so we all, like, knew him. And he was a everybody, dynamic oh, yeah. person. Yep. Just... So that was tough and, like, really trying to figure that out. Nobody knew he had sickle cell, so he was very, mm-hmm. like, closed off. Was about that a cancer? That. Mm, no, it's... So like it's a blood... It's like an anemia... I don't blood know. disorder. Yes, it's blood. a blood disorder. Um, and so he ended up getting sick. And he passed away, but nobody had known that he had it, so it was very like surprising, mm. and um, it kind of shook the whole campus. I would say um, everybody was very like surprised, and he hadn't come back either. Like, so he wasn't even there actively, and um, people were very hard. It was hard for people to go through that, and him being somebody that I was that close to, and he was my roommate, and mm. um, having lost him in that moment was really tough. And so I was grieving and going through that and then also still working through my first relationship ending and me still wanting that relationship to be happening and figuring out who I am as a person and so all that's happening um and then uh in that same time frame I had met he was a freshman when I was a sophomore um he his name is Josh uh and so yes we were both Josh um so it happens (laughs) Josh and I became close and um we developed a relationship over time and we were never at one point officially together or anything like that and he was always there for me and we had a really great um, relationship and he was there for me a lot during that time with D'Angelo when all that happened and as I got to know Josh I learned more about him I learned more about me and who I was and um, he had already been out so people knew about him and so it was different for me he was very much like I want to be in a relationship with you. Let's go be, you know, this and this thing. And it was different for me because I wasn't used to that. Um, but I was intrigued by him. And so we started a relationship. It was kind of on and off, nothing official. Um, and I was actually running orientation, um, new student orientation the summer after sophomore year. Uh, and he had been one of these. So I was running orientation. He was one of like the orientation I don't know. Leaders. What, yeah, he was one of the leaders. I'm like forgetting what we called them. Um, so he was one of the leaders, and so he was at orientation with me. Uh, we had lived together in an apartment that summer while we were both at school. 
And so we were together all the time. He ended up, um, it was actually the morning of one of the orientations, and Josh ended up reading. He went in my phone and he read a text message that was completely out of context of anything. Like, it really wasn't anything that was a big deal um, while I was in the shower getting ready for the day. And then I came out and he was gone. And I didn't have any idea where it was. Nobody could get a hold of him. Um, and prior to this, we kind of knew that he had some issues and some things were not perfect with him and his thought process on a lot of things was a little off and nobody really understood it at the time none of us really knew and again we're young like we don't understand and I don't know how to be there for someone who is going through something like this um, even when you're trained you have someone personal that it doesn't matter yeah. it's yeah. so hard still it's yeah so it was, it was definitely tough and then um, we found out that and honestly the day was a blur to me I had to stand up in front of 200 something people and make a speech that day and know that he was missing and we didn't know where he was um, and kind of later in the day we figured out where he was where he ended up he ended up attempting suicide um, unsuccessfully at that time and um, he ended up they found him on the side of the road and in his car and knowing all this and I'm getting all these things and finding out all of this stuff that's happening at that time and um, again standing in front of your people trying to give a speech and holding back wanting to throw up um, because of everything that's going on um, and I he ended up in the hospital I went to the hospital to see him and one of the things that I wanted to tell him at the hospital that day when I went to see him was that I didn't think it was a good idea for him and I to continue our relationship and what was happening. I was going to be there for him no matter what, but until he could figure out uh, what was going on and, you know, get the help that he mm -hmm. needed at the time, like, I didn't think it was a good idea for us to be together in any capacity. That didn't happen. Um, in the hospital, we ended up making it official that we were in a relationship. Mm -hmm. uh, so it went completely the other way, and it was okay because I still I loved him, and like yeah. that was fine. It just wasn't how I anticipated things to go. Uh, and he ended up going to a rehab facility place for a little bit, and I was able to go out there and visit him. We talked on the phone every time he was able to talk on the phone. He was there for a little while. He got out of there, and then we ended up moving in together uh, with another friend of ours. Um, and him and I were... In a relationship and things were pretty good he was on medication and he seemed happy he was seeing a counselor things seemed like they were going the right way but every once in a while I could tell that it wasn't right and something wasn't right, right. Um, and so I did as much as I could to be there for him and to make sure that he was you know going to see the counselor that he was speaking to and being there for people um, and then just to kind of fast forward the story there, he, in December of that year, him and I broke up. We still ended up living together. We actually shared a room, so it was very different. It was weird. We just knew that we were fighting too much and things weren't good until um, we could figure out, you know, what was happening with him. We were fine. We lived together with, the, with our friend. And then in, we were away... I guess it was spring break and it was really early that year because I think it was in February. Yeah, so spring break was really early that year. Um, and 
he was at the apartment. I was at home in Jersey. He was at the apartment with our other roommate. And he had been hanging out with one of his friends from work. She left. Uh, he was supposed to go to work the next morning. And our friend, our other roommate, woke up. She went to go to work. And she realized that his car was still outside. But she hadn't seen him in the apartment. Um, she knew all the history and everything. And so she got super nervous. But she didn't know what to do. So she called me. Um, we called other people. I ended up... My family loved Josh and they knew everything as well and he was very open about everything um, and so they decided to drive me from Jersey up to our apartment um, and when we got there I went into the bedroom and sorry no don't be sorry you're so strong for sharing the <laughs> story to help others um, and so he did commit suicide um, and I and my dad were the ones who found him. Um, and it was a very tough morning uh, for a lot of reasons, but I had to be the one to call his parents and tell them. Um, it's a lot. It was hard for my dad because my dad found him with me and my dad's brother committed suicide mm. years ago. And so my dad had a whole bunch of emotions and things that came back and um, so, it was really hard, and for me, knowing that him and I had exchanged some words the night before, that we weren't fighting necessarily, but it, we didn't leave off in a very good place, and all I could think of was that it was my fault. Sure. Um, and I continued to think it was my fault for a long time, um, and to have people that are wanting someone to blame, uh, and I don't want to say that his family blamed me and I don't think that that's necessarily the case but it felt like they did and I think that that was me thinking that it was my fault and just some of the conversations I was having with people it felt like someone needed to blame someone for what mm -hmm. had happened mm -hmm. and I felt like it was coming to me um, and in that same breath and that's why I told the story of before so it was only a year after D'Angelo had passed away. So I was still grieving the loss of someone that close to me mm -hmm. a year in, and then it happens again. And this time it was a different circumstance, but it was very hard to navigate through that and to kind of figure out where I stood. And, you know, what I mean, I was worried about you, I'm not going to lie. I got a call from Sam, our mutual friend, in, she was in Madrid. Mm -hmm on a class trip and I'm like, will you accept? I'm like, who's calling me from Madrid? I answer and she tells me and I'm like, and then I just, I think I reached out to you and I was just like, I'm so sorry, but even I'm in the work, I don't even know what to do because it's someone personal. It's, it's, it's not, it's different when you're in a training and you're telling people things, but when it hits home, it's, it's so unbelievable. And especially losing D'Angelo, your group of friends had gone through so much in, a year and the fact that you can even share the story is incredible and I'll never forget when I did ask you to be a part of the book you wrote me and I never forget the words you said you said I finally let go and realized that it wasn't my fault and I had to forgive myself for putting that on me and that was so beautiful that you found that for yourself um, so then you could grieve and move on and use this story to really help other youth to let you know let them know that you know mental health is real uh, mm -hmm. depression's real it can be treated there are people that support you and 
you still would most likely be supporting Josh, you know? Um, it's just... Well, at the end of the day, too, I mean, he was going to do it or not. Yeah. 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 Nina's, I'm that sure was... you've heard it all, but... Yeah. yeah. That is the reality of it. Yeah. Mm-hmm. He yeah, was... you can't blame yourself. Yeah. But I, I would listen, like... Yeah. After a year later, after that, and then you find him, yeah. and then your dad also witnessed it, and then it you're like, this whole, it's like, come on. Hard. Like, yeah. There's no way for you not to feel that way. Yeah. And, like... I don't care how logical or who you are as a person. Yeah. It's, it was hard, and even, like, to the point where his dad and his brother, and they came to the apartment to, like, pick up his things, and then, like arguing with me over what was his and what right. was mine and it's like why are we it doesn't even like matter. why does any of that matter like i lost him you lost him like right. none of that matters and so i just felt like it was like one thing after another right. and i just kept you blaming myself and nope i mean and i was very lucky to be supported by so many people i think that if so many people you know like you and you know, so many other people reaching out and being there for me and kind of pointing me in the right direction you know I was in a pretty dark place myself mm-hmm. after having gone through that and sure. thinking about what could I have done differently what would right. have been different mm-hmm. uh, and what could be now and you know it's something I look back on a lot and sometimes I look back on it in that same dark place but yeah. other times it's I look back and I realize you know what I did and how much mm-hmm. I was there for him and I did almost everything that I could do yeah. to make sure that he was okay and well the strange part about darkness is there's a lot of beauty in there too which yeah. is yeah not easy to see because yeah. it's dark mm-hmm. <laughs> and you can't that's navigate amazing. your way you know and that's yeah. what that's what it is like yeah. there's so much darkness in that beauty how many times have you between the two of you i know you've shared your story a lot you've shared your story a lot obviously because of your book that's, what, I, that's yeah. what you do you like show up like how many times have you shared your story this story so i've like what you just did now not very many times. Uh-huh. Um, not enough. Yeah. I think that yeah. there have been times where I have shared it and it feels good mm-hmm. every time that I do. Yeah, it keeps taking off. Yeah. The... yeah. Um, and I don't think that I do it enough. Um, so it's it's tough. The, I Recently, in the last year, I made some new friends. And um, the first night that we hung out, they had one of them had told me that he knew who Josh was and he had seen we became friends through Instagram and whatever and he had seen something and saw Josh and he was like oh I like wonder how he knew him and then so one of the first times that we hung out I told them everything and told them the story and I was like I just unloaded on you guys and I've known you all of a month but (laughs) that's how it usually goes yeah you could do that on a stranger like the person you meet you're like oh my god I have to tell you something (laughs) and you just blab your mouth yeah, yeah, it which is good. fine. It feels good. Yeah, yeah, it felt good to get it out and to be able to talk about it and to, you know, have well, we, other people. Yeah, exactly. Well, we self, so many. Yeah, having so many. We self-sabotage, too. That's what we do. Yeah. We're really good at it as human Absolutely. beings, whatever the situation is. Yep. And uh, so you think you shouldn't tell somebody, but in reality, you should tell someone over and over and over and over. I did this exercise once where you wrote your story down on a piece of paper mm-hmm. and you had to sit across from a person like this. Mm-hmm. And each of you had to read your story like 25 times to the point of hysterics like and how ridiculous it is. Yeah. It was a training I did actually. No, yeah, but yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah. Exactly. Uh, uh, so it's this like transformative learning course I took. Yeah. And, but it makes your story sound so crazy. Over, if you say it over and over and over and over, your story specifically and where you've led, gone through in life with your identity, um, and then you can take it and crumple it up and throw it out yeah. and continue. Yeah. You know, it's just, it's, uh, it's so important to talk. Yeah. 
I think for me, like speaking, I would do 200 a year for speaking. I cut down because of my 200. Health. It was very overwhelming. God. That was my job. That's like um, the calendar practically yeah, besides vacations. I, I had to leave. But um, no, I do about 30 to 50 now, which oh, I think good. is great. That's a good number. It's healthy. But um, I think... Because I only do 11 of well, I do no. like 20 of these, and I can't imagine doing like 200 of these. I actually thought, I think I would literally like cry if I did 200 of these because it would be too much like editing, actually. More well, than that would be bad. <laughs> I get to do it and leave. Yeah, yeah, no yeah. I have that I mean, you get what you I get. love I it. I talk about like, Fortnite this day, I talk yeah, about this this yeah. day. But um, no, I just think for me, it's it used to, I was struggling when I had my kids, and like I would tell my story and have to go home and then be like a mom and do this, and I wasn't taking care of myself to the point where I would tell my story and leave it there. But now I'm at a point where when I tell my story and I speak and I do Q&A and I share my story and then others share their stories, I know how to leave it there now. Yeah. And then I know how to go and start over. And I couldn't do that. And I think that is healthy to a point where you tell it, you get it out, and you take a breather. And then you go tell it again. And the reason I speak, I always say it is... And the reason I share all these stories and the reason I wrote the book the way I did was because I never want anybody to feel the way I felt. I don't want anyone to hide. And I also want every youth to know, young adult, that you're not alone, that there's help out there no matter what you go through. And there's support. People care about you. Um, And I think you realize that. You realize that you had support and people cared. And um, I just am so happy that you are sharing to help people because you don't realize just even if you help one person. That's really all that matters. Yeah, so. and I think that it's something where, like, with suicide, I don't really know many people whose suicide hasn't affected in one yeah. way or another. Sure. And yeah. so it's good to talk about it and to get to know, you know, other people's stories and for people to tell mm-hmm. me the things that they've been through and me to share what I've been through. And it helps me to look back and reflect and to grow in order to move forward. And mm-hmm. that's always a thing and it's a journey that's always going to keep happening. Um, it's interesting because your energy completely shifted already. It's amazing. Yeah. Just in this room alone. It's yeah. amazing. I mean, and so it, it's good. I really like to put it all out there. And I did, it's not something that I like to talk about too much after it happened. And I didn't really, I kept everything in. But that's why I get nervous when I ask you sometimes, like, should I ask? I'm like, but I'm like, you know what? Because after you wrote that, what you wrote to me that you had, you know, just had the realization and were able to, you know, move on and live, you know, and it's like, all right, he's ready. But I think if I would have asked you the year after, it would have been not a great time yeah. because you weren't ready and yeah. you're ready. And well, I, grieving is, you, know, you grieve however you want to grieve. Right. That's what I always right. tell people. Yeah. It's like, yep. you take, listen, do you, like, mm-hmm. who, everyone's going to tell you whatever they're going to tell you. But honestly, at the end of the day, just yeah. ma- all that matters is that you take care of yourself. And that. if you need to tell people... Or not tell anybody. Yeah. Or just write it down on a piece of paper. I always tell people, mostly I say, write it down. Because, you know, that. the discussions that me and my husband have, we get perturbed. Everyone, you know, everyone thinks, yes, he tra- travels a lot, you know. Yeah. But we also make sure we have conversations with each other yeah, that are realistic that. inside of what we're doing mm-hmm. to make it happen and make yeah. it work, right? That's the same thing with grieving. That's yeah. like, it has to work for you. Mm-hmm. It cannot work for anybody. Everyone will literally... It's like when I was planning our wedding. Everyone will tell you... Oh, my gosh. ...a hundred ways, but at the end of the day, it's oh, yeah. your day, and if you want to do it to please people, then you shouldn't do it. Yeah. Because okay. that's the wrong... I mean, really, it's that's... It's a very... That's something I struggle with, but I... Cool. It's fine. Are you I tight? When are you born? I'm working on it. Seven. <laughs> yeah. I'm, I'm no, wait. Uh, what's your sign? Oh, I don't... Cancer. Cancer. Oh. Yeah. But you're very, like, emotional and touchy, right? I'm like, so emotional. <laughs> My poor husband does not. 
go like look at the Himalayas. Oh my god, what did I do with the world bending? And I was like, seriously. It's totally it's, true though. Terrible. I have my mother's cancer. I love her to pieces. It's uh, it's uh, uh, But yeah. I have good boundaries with her now. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I'm a Libra, so I need there the balance. There you go, figure it out. And Jason's a Libra too. So. Oh goodness. Yeah, yeah. You so sure. we're com- we're completely wow. split down the middle though. Wow. Like we're like. Hmm. By the way, love his husband, my favorite. <laughs> Actually, it's funny, I've never mentioned him on the podcast. Oh my God. So he does the Golden Girls. He is Dorothy, and I'm obsessed. So give me a shout out at a show. <laughs> oh, going back to how you were like, you were you sometimes afraid to ask him, like, whatever yeah. in the beginning. But I will always go to you now if you don't care. No, I'll probably just go to you and ask you if when I have a function or a queer function that I need speakers for oh, stuff I like love. that. Like, like yeah. I have no that problem. So you decide, but I'm. Yeah. I'll ask you. No, no. that you know. makes me. Yeah. You don't understand how happy that makes me. Well, it's just because I've heard. I've heard kids like you know. I I spoke to someone. Uh, I think they were seventeen years old. Seventeen, and I was just blown away. Blown away by their story, yeah. right? Because they literally have lived ten lives up until this point. Between, I believe, not being at home, being in foster care, trans. And getting to the point, getting one, going, one kid, is one all kid these stories. all these stories, and going to school, obviously, trying to go to school, yeah. high school, and navigating that, and then getting kicked out and being bullied, and like, and then just like, just stories from a religious uh, aspect. I'm truly doing a, my yeah. fifth season is going to be religion because okay. um, I think it's so important to talk about oh, because that's absolutely. the place you go to first. Yep. Everyone goes to that first. Even for anxiety, you. they're very, they yeah. used to be very. Yeah. And mental health, you know, it's a, yeah. oh, God, it's, like, unreal. But then I have kids that are, like, nine-year-old drag queens, and they're just, Incredible like, though. and their parents are, like, unreal, and I, I'm going to an interview in Colorado in April to do this huge drag interview with no. Drag Youth. There's a conference called Drag Utan so in Colorado. Seven to 17 years old is the age limit that you can be, that you can only do the, the be no. a part of it, wow. and they're all queens. Yeah, and, like, they, they identify however they identify. It's just amazing to me. It's in Denver, Colorado, so it's like more like liberal. Yeah. Um, yeah. But the outskirts are a little rough and tumble. Yeah. Wow. Around here too. Yeah. We're in Pennsylvania, by the way, everyone. Um, but so, talk about your book just a little bit more, so people know where to get your book and how to like oh, okay. to read the stories. Yeah. And how to find you. Um, yeah. So I'm on um, Instagram, Melissa Rice One Four Three. So the book is called The People You Meet in Real Life, and it's available on Amazon. So in it, you meet 30 people I've met in my life um, who have gone through different things like anxiety, cancer, um, Josh, a story you just heard, um, really all aspects of life. And I just believe that these people I have met in my life had inspired me to continue to speak and share my story so nobody feels alone. Um, each purchase um, actually supports a scholarship in memory of my cousin. Um, a year and a half ago, I lost my cousin, 24, to a heroin overdose because he was struggling with severe depression, and that was really tough. And I kind of felt like towards the end, I was not angry at him, but I just was kind of just, I had been through it with my brother for four years, and I was just like, we love you, we support you, please. And you have to realize it's a disease, and he was struggling, and I felt like towards the end, I disappointed myself in how I showed him love. And I felt like this was a way that I could just tell him, I love you, and I'm still proud of you, and um, so it will, go to his scholarship and I hope you know, it makes him happy um, and I just I hope that if you take anything from the book you just understand you're not alone that others have been where you are that we're willing to share our stories because we never want you to feel like you're alone and we really want you to know there is help out there so just remember that 
and you have to give words of wisdom yes, specifically for the queer community and like what you've gone through and what would you say my words of wisdom um probably that it's so important to look around you and to realize that there are people that are there to listen and support you and you may not find them in the most obvious places but they are there uh, and to use those people to help you to understand who you are to you know get through the things that you're going through and it does get better uh, I know that's such mm -hmm. a almost cliche thing now but it really does and you know you learn a lot and I mean I'm 30 now and I'm I am who I am because of the things that I went through mm -hmm. and the things that I learned about myself going through those things. As terrible as they were to go through and, you know, it can't change what happened. And so you got to keep moving forward and pushing through and using the people around you to support you through them. So this episode is really important to hear because mental health is a real issue for some folks and suicide happens way too much, specifically in America. Uh, the People You Meet in Real Life is available on Amazon, and you should read the book. It's fantastic. Thank you to my two hosts. Um, it's a real conversation, and we really need to have it. And I hope everyone heard what they heard and are being safe and healthy during these crazy times. Of course, I want to thank my on-air sponsors, Michael J. Gombrowskis, and Jose de la Cuesta. I appreciate it. It wouldn't be made possible without you, my listeners, and I'm super excited. These are now my bonus episodes for the summer, so I hope you enjoy them. And if you, have, if you ever want to be on the podcast, just hit me up at queerteenpodcast at gmail.com. For more information on suicide prevention and mental health, please see the links in the post for the podcast. And I'm your host, Anthony Giorgio, and thank you for listening to another episode of QT, Queer Teen Podcast, encouraging the next generation of queer youth from across the world to stand up for what's right. And remember, listen, learn, love.